District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another special Friday episode. Today, I'm going to largely focus on the news of President Biden expanding three national monuments back to pre-Trump era sizes. And I'll also talk about some of the shortcomings with national monument designations, the limits of presidential authority, whether they can shrink or expand, and the Utah delegation's response to this and why Antiquities Act reforms are needed. This is, mind you, a complicated subject. I've had to learn about it myself, and I think you may find this to be interesting. If you don't follow national monument designations, you don't understand what those entail and sometimes how they can disproportionately leave out outdoor participants from access, which is ironic because public lands are supposed to be open to everyone. And I saw earlier this week we were trending on the Apple podcast charts for the wilderness category. We were at the 238th spot, so that's awesome. We have been seeing an uptick in listeners, so keep that coming. Invite your friends to listen to the show because we talk about controversial subjects and popular subjects and misunderstood topics. And we want to break it down for you. I want to be kind of your Sherpa into conservation here in the Washington, D.C. area and beyond because there's a lot to digest. There's a lot to uncover. So I want to be your friendly guide into all that is happening in D.C. and beyond. Yesterday afternoon, it was revealed that the White House would announce their intention to restore several national monuments, including two controversial Utah ones, back to pre-Trump levels including Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments. And for those of you who are kind of stunned by this development, it's not a surprise. This stems actually back to President Biden's initial executive orders, one of the first that he declared after being sworn into office, the executive order stemming from January 20th, 2021. So they're following through with the intention. This is not a surprise given the fact that Interior Secretary Holland has supported restoring these national monuments to pre-Trump levels. And here's what the latest fact sheet says about this and their intention to restore national monuments back to pre-Trump levels. So they say it is because of their effort to, quote, better protect, conserve, and restore the lands and waters that sustain the health of communities and power our economy, President Biden today, will sign three proclamations restoring protections for Bears Ears, Grand Staircase Escalante, and Northeast Canyons and Seamounts National Monuments. They argue that by restoring these national monuments, which were significantly cut back during the previous administration, President Biden is fulfilling a key promise in upholding the long-standing principle that America's national parks, monuments, and other protected areas are to be protected for all time and all people. And they say it's among the series of steps the administration has taken to restore protection to some of America's most cherished lands and waters, many of which are sacred to tribal nations. They have halted leasing in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which I think is a mistake because that has been studied for 40 years. It's pretty safe. You talk to anyone in Alaska and people who've worked on this issue, that's not a very good decision on their part. They say that their conservation efforts, these are actually more preservationist efforts, are critical to solving the climate crisis, protecting public health, promoting wildlife and biodiversity, and rebuilding America's economy. As part of his Build Back Better agenda, the president has proposed the creation of the new Climate Change Corps, da 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 
and in his actions to restore Bears Ears, Grand Staircase, Escalante, and Northeast Canyons and Seamounts National Monuments is consistent with recommendations from Secretary of Interior Deb Holland, who, with the support of Departments of Agriculture, Commerce, and Justice, and the White House Council on Environmental Quality, I didn't realize they needed that many agencies to reach such a conclusion. They reviewed the actions of the previous administration that drastically reduced protections for these places. They met with members of Congress, states, and local governments, representatives of tribal nations, and a wide range of stakeholders. Holland also visited Utah to directly meet with local residents and tour the area. After gathering information and input, the Department of Interior provided the president with a report and recommendations. Now, we're going to talk about Utah's side because my understanding from reports I've seen, the Utah delegation does not reciprocate these feelings. They feel very shut out from the decision-making process because they feel like Secretary Holland and the Biden administration selectively chose stakeholders who are for kind of unfettered, protections for national monuments without considerations to outdoor participants, multiple uses, things of that sort. So we'll read the Utah response to this before I kind of go into some of the controversial nature with these designations, and I'll talk about the law as well and what you need to know about that. From Utah Governor Cox, the Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, these Utah legislature and their press release reads like this, that they expressed disappointment in the Biden administration's decision to expand Utah monuments. And this was issued yesterday. Governor Spencer Cox, Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, Attorney General Sam Reyes, President Jay Stewart Adams, and Speaker Brad Wilson expressed their frustration and disappointment in the Biden administration's decision to expand Utah's Grand Staircase, Escalante, and Beers Ears National Monuments. We learned this afternoon from Secretary Holland that President Biden will soon announce the restoration of both of these national monuments. President Biden's decision to expand the monuments is disappointing, though not surprising. For the past 10 months, we have consistently offered to work with the Biden administration on a permanent legislative solution, one that would end the perpetual enlarging and shrinking of these monuments and bring certainty to their management. Our goal has been to make lasting progress on managing our public lands for the benefit of all those who use them, particularly those who live on and near those lands. We expected and hoped for closer collaboration between our state and national leaders, especially on matters that directly impact Utah and our citizens. The president's decision to enlarge the monuments, again, is a tragic missed opportunity. It fails to provide certainty as well as the funding of law enforcement research and other protections which the monuments need and which only congressional action can offer. As Chief Justice Roberts noted earlier this year, the purpose of the Antiquities Act is to protect the, quote, smallest area compatible with the care and management, end quote, of significant archaeological or historical objects to be protected. We agree and will consider all available legal options to that end. We are equally disappointed that the BLM, Bureau of Land Management Headquarters, will be moving from Colorado to D.C., thousands of miles away from over 90% of the courts of the country's federally owned and managed lands, locating BLM away from the nation's capital and near lands managed, brought a valuable new perspective to the BLM and should have served as a model for other federal departments. These decisions clearly demonstrate the administration's unwillingness to collaborate with and listen to those most impacted by their decisions. We remain hopeful that a long-term solution will be reached in the future and that the exhausting policy and stability over Utah's public land can come to an end. So if you want to read the full press release, that's kind of just a summary of it. I will link to it in the show notes for your reading. And this stems back to the law itself. So the Antiquities Act was first inspired and enacted in 1906. 
Perhaps it is long overdue for a little polishing and a little modernization. And the press release from the Utah delegation indicated that there needs to be some clarity in Section 2 of the law, which gives the president the authority to set aside protection for historic landmarks, historic and prehistoric structures, and other objects of historic or scientific interest that are situated upon the lands or controlled by the government of the United States. And I'm going to read for you exactly what that entails. But we heard from Senator Mike Lee earlier this year on the podcast when the administrations were transitioning from Trump to Biden about his longstanding concerns with this. I wanted him to talk about his public land views because I'd seen many in the hunting space and conservation space really not hear out his views. I don't believe he wants to despoil all public lands. I think he just comes about it from a different perspective. And I I asked him to clarify his comments if he really is or has an antipathy towards public lands. You can hear his response in episode 140, which was also linked to the show notes. But the Antiquities Act needs to be addressed by Congress. I have talked about that here on the podcast, and there is congressional calls for doing so. And it needs to clarify whether or not presidents should be bound to kind of more stricter confines for which they can shrink or not shrink national monuments. And that's the debated point. And this is why the Utah delegation is extremely frustrated by this back and forth. They feel like they were shut out from stakeholder relations. And we have heard this, especially in the infancy of the Biden administration, how stakeholders on the ground out West feel shut out of important, timely conversations about conservation, about land use, about energy development, about forest management, all these issues that they were starting to feel heard about. You may have not liked how the Trump administration conducted itself, but if you talk to anyone out West, and I've spoken to a number of people, they felt that their perspectives were heard a lot more under the last administration. It seems like this one is just skewing towards certain preservationist interests. That's just my view into it. And things are very cyclical. This is what happens under democratic administrations. There needs to be, and maybe Congress will tackle this, I'm not sure. I highly doubt it because of just how evenly divided it is in the Senate and just the slight Democrat majorities in the House. I don't think we're going to see any reforms unless Republicans take back control of Congress, but that remains to be seen. We still have over a year out until midterm elections, but a lot of people have called for Antiquities Act reforms. Now, I have cited previously about presidential authority to revoke or reduce national monuments. And from legal experts, there is a case from both the right-leaning American Enterprise Institute and also the Brookings Institution, which is no conservative think tank. It's actually like the Heritage Foundation, but on the left. They have said that presidents actually have the authority to shrink national monuments. First, I'll read from Brookings again, then I'll go to AEI if you guys need a refresher course. But in 2017, the Brookings Institution said that President Trump had the authority to shrink national monuments. And a lot of people, when they jump in on this issue, they say, no, no, no. It says that presidents have the authority to shrink it or expand it. And if you didn't already know, since President Theodore Roosevelt, presidents have designated national monuments. And they've also used their power to protect massive tracts of land And when it comes to diminishment, according to the Brookings Institution, a lot of people were obviously alarmed when President Trump announced that he would shrink or diminish the size of national monuments. The Brookings Institution claims that critics claim that the Antiquities Act does not give 
formally granted powers to the president to undo what a predecessor has done. And they claim that instead it grants the president the power to do something. Specifically, he can designate new monuments or expand existing ones. However, it does not grant the power to diminish. On its face, that is correct, cites Brookings Institution. But that doesn't mean that such power cannot be implied. And others argue that in a 1976 statute of the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, limits the president as it engages diminishment directly, noting limitations on the Secretary of Interior to modify existing protected areas. Two challenges emerge from this argument. First is that the law is explicit in limiting the Interior Secretary's power, not the president's power. Even though Congress has constitutional authority to limit the president's powers explicitly. Second, Congress engaging limitations broadly listed numerous areas of law in which the executive branch would be restricted from diminishment or abolition and failed to include the Antiquities Act. And the Section 2 of the Antiquities Act of 1906 states, the limits of which in all cases shall be confined to the smallest area compatible with proper care and management of the objects to be protected. Here the president is charged to make this area as small as is needed. Courts have ruled several times on cases involving the Antiquities Act without once challenging the president's discretion on the grounds of the size of the monument, even as cases dealt with some of the nation's largest national monuments. People had asserted that President Trump was the first person to engage in so-called diminishment of national monuments. However, that is not true. There have been also other presidents who have engaged in major reductions or adjustment to national monument boundaries. Those include Presidents Eisenhower, Truman, Taft, who did it on multiple occasions, President Wilson, and Coolidge. And none of those diminishments, interestingly enough, were reversed by the courts. That's really interesting. So that's Brookings Institution, not a conservative outlet, not a conservative public policy think tank, who said the president has the authority to shrink or diminish national monuments. Now let's read briefly from AEI's report, which was also cited in this publication as well. The Antiquities Act of 1906 grants the president the power to designate monuments in order to protect archaeological sites, historical and prehistoric structures, and historic landmarks, such as battlegrounds. We are confident that pursuant to this power to designate, a president has the corresponding power to revoke prior national monument designations, although there is no controlling judicial authority on this question. Based on the text of the act, historical practice, and constitutional principles, we have even more confidence that he can reduce the size of prior designations that cover vast areas of land and ocean habitat, although his power of reduction may in some instances be related to his implicit power of revocation. And if you would like to read that from John Yu and Todd Gaziano, I will include it in the show notes. But we have both conservative and liberal sources saying presidents do have the authority to shrink and also expand. That's kind of an inconvenient fact that no one likes to talk about. But I also want to give you guys the sportsman's concerns about national monuments. This is from Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, saying sportsmen and national monuments, it's complicated and that's okay. When it comes to national monuments and America's sportsmen and women, it's in our best interest to avoid approaching interiors review as a zero-sum game. With the Antiquities Act having been around for more than a century, there are numerous examples of how these designations have accommodated, improved, and protected hunting, fishing, and habitat admirably. Conversely, monument designations have also negatively impacted recreational access and state wildlife agencies ability to effectively manage fish and wildlife species and their habitats. And that's why oversimplified statements like an attack on one monument is an attack on them all, quote, do not make a whole lot of sense. It is still 
a fact that with or without monument designation, these lands are already public lands and will remain so only through due diligence and United Sportsmen community focus. I also want to point to a few examples of where national monument designations have actually disproportionately taken out sportsmen and women from public access. I also want to point to where a lot of wildlife agencies they had alluded to kind of feel taken out of the equation when more public lands are designated as national monuments. And this is from the state of Arizona. And this was addressed to Secretary Zinke when he was in Trump's first interior secretary. And they had actually expressed their report support for the review of national monument designations, which was President's Executive Order 13792, expressing concerns regarding national monument designations via the Antiquities Act. Arizona has an incredibly rich history of hunting and angling, with yearly economic contributions of over $1.2 billion from sportsmen and women, including $54 million for wildlife and habitat conservation, support for more than 18,000 jobs, and $132 million in state and local taxes. The commission adopted resolution concerning the continuing cumulative effects that special land use designations have on multiple-use lands, including effects on access conservation efforts and wildlife-related recommendations. Recent monument designations in Arizona covered under the EO lacked upfront an effective coordination with the State Wildlife Management Agency and necessity for effective conservation of the public's wildlife resources. As a result, the state has experienced a systematic loss of diverse recreational opportunities and an erosion of the Arizona Game and Fish Department's ability to proactively manage wildlife. Project delays, elevated costs, increased man hours, and legal challenges impact the department's ability to carry out statutory authorities and state trusted responsibilities and threaten significant contributions to the state economy from wildlife-related recreation. So the ball is now in Congress's courts, especially in the wake of this executive order. We will see perhaps maybe some legal challenges. I have no doubt the Utah delegation will proceed with a legal challenge. Perhaps we're going to see some Antiquities Act modernization bills in Congress to address this volleying of going back and forth between shrinking and expanding national monument monuments, but it's long overdue to bring this law into the 21st century. I have long argued that, and it's not because I think national monuments have to be shrunk. I think national monuments can enhance outdoor opportunities, certainly, but I also believe that states and localities have to have input, and especially if the proposals will potentially curb and impede on outdoor recreational opportunities, especially in the sporting realm. We need to have access to public lands remain in public hands, but if only certain public users are able to access that, that defeats the purpose of public lands and undermines our public lands ethos. So we need to have clarity on this. A special reminder, Monday, be on the lookout for my conversation with Western Caucus Chairman Dan Newhouse, who represents Washington's 4th Congressional District. He is in his fourth term. He just took the helms of the caucus, and they are now out with their 30-30 alternative, which I actually explored a bit more for my commitments to my fellowship with Independent Women's Forum. So I break down the shortcomings, and I talk about their plan and why I think it's a great alternative. And Chairman Newhouse will certainly explore that a bit more and some of their priorities. So you do not want to miss that. I think you'll enjoy his comments and hearing from lawmakers who have our interests in mind. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, 
subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds. All of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me and I'm, but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. 